During the holidays, many of us are just looking for comfort, something safe and familiar to help us feel at ease and at home. So just imagine if two bumbling bandits decided to intrude on that. Just think about how you would feel if two cat-handed crooks barged in to ruin your holiday and make you feel unsafe. Why, it might even be enough to make you resort to murder. Or at the very least, some light torture. So today, we're thirsting for more as we ask the question, Home Alone, what's it about? And keep the change, you filthy animal. I'm Ricardo Blade Diaz. And I'm Seth Crow, And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth, how you doing today? Uh, apparently my dog's going crazy. Yeah. In the background. You want to go check yeah. on her? I'll, I think, I think, so we have a raccoon in our attic. Oh, no. Yeah. Speaking of intruders. Yeah, and uh, so, another bandit of sorts. Uh, yes, and uh, that's ironic. I didn't think about that. Uh, it could be too. Uh, yeah, so Harry we're the raccoon Marv, bandits. Harry, Harry and Marv have been upstairs. Uh, I think the animal control guy might be outside checking the trap right now. So um, the dog. Hold on a second. I'm gonna mute myself. Okay. Okay. I'm uh, back. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, so, so yeah, how's your week been going? It's good. Uh, I only have about seven more shifts of this elf stuff, uh, which I have enjoyed getting to know the people. It's been a learning experience, but I'm definitely ready to not be freezing. Uh, that's the that's the hard part of this job that I did not anticipate is being out in 30 degree weather and tights. So, hey, uh, you know, welcome to my life. Just kidding. I don't, I don't have to do that. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's the, it's the things you don't think about, right? Like mm-hmm. the uh, unforeseen challenges. Yes. Yes. So it's really going to make me appreciate a job with heat after this. Fair enough. Fair but enough. I think I was, I was like telling my therapist, I was like, you know, as much as this kind of sucked, it's reminding me that I am capable of like changing my routine mm-hmm. and like trying something new it does suck initially but i do adapt Mm -hmm. you know i'm just so afraid to like pull the trigger yeah you've always kind of been you're a routine guy you're you're very into routine yeah but that's i mean that's honestly like neurodivergence like that's my neurodivergence yeah so like i'm really good at establishing routines once i like once i've established a routine i'm really good at sticking to it Mm mm-hmm but I'm not good at establishing them initially. Yeah. So it ta- it takes me like a while, and I'm like miserable until I find the routine. Mm-hmm. I'm so I wouldn't say I'm anti routine. I would love to be on a routine, but my <laughs> I'm so just like I don't know whatever's happening right now <laughs> kind of thing. Like yeah. I eat at weird times, like. Like when I'm when my schedule is consistent as far as like my work schedule, I kind of like do like okay, I go to work. I usually stop at the Panera by where I work to get you know something to drink and like maybe a bagel to start my day because I'm in the Panera Sip Club, not a sponsor. <laughs> uh, so you get free drinks, you know, ten dollars a month free drinks. So it's a pretty great deal. And if you that go there, if you go there often, you make you're saving so much money. Like if you live by a Panera, that's yeah. 
dope. Yeah, yeah, it's it's way worth it. I've saved a lot of money because, like I said, I stop in there to get a bagel every morning, or you know, or a soda, or they you know it goes for the charged lemonades too, and everything. So it'll sit. It'll save you some bread. Not can and you can do it multiple times a day. It resets every two hours, so I can get a drink in the morning for free, and then on my way home, I can stop in and get one on the way home. Do you get? It's ironic. <laughs> you're saving you're saving bread i know thank you Panera. yeah but anyway sometimes i'll just walk in there and just get a drink so literally i walk up and they know they know my face now because i go in there so much and they're i'm just like large cold drink and they just hand me a cup and i just walk right to the right to the the fountains and don't even That's have to awesome. like stop at the register i just walk i just like walk by and swipe it so i do have some routines but like i don't I eat at strange times. Like my dinner is always at a different time. I'm never like getting dinner at the same time. It's never from the same place, uh, you know, or at least like, you know, it's always from like different places. It's never like the same place over and over and over again. And so yeah. I, I'm just, just all over the place with my schedule as far it, as like that kind of stuff. When I'm uncomfortable, I need routine. And then it hits to a point where I have to shatter it. Mm-hmm. Like you like, get in a rut. You I'll did get into, you, you get dig a trench of routine. Yeah, yeah. And then I have to like go, I can't do this mm. anymore. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. No, I think that's very normal. And and because you know, we you people want comfort, right? So yeah. you're so you're almost done. That's great. Um I yeah. saw that uh, that picture of you on Facebook, uh yeah. with the, the the portrait that did someone paint that? Yeah. It's a it's a it's it's a real human, not AI painting. <laughs> Yeah, we. I mean, we can talk about that stuff. Like, people are artists are real scared right now. Yeah, yeah. Not only are they scared, um, but they're they're um, angry. outraged. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, how many? You know, success is so relative. You know, <laughs> because like, if you think about it, how many people do you know that have a a full blown portrait of themselves? <laughs> I don't. You know, like, and you have two. I have two. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, well, you know, Sarah painted. Oh yes, 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 yes. Uh, that I'm not the only one. I'm not the like star of that portrait. Yeah, but, but you're yeah. in the very middle. Yeah, that's true. I guess I do. You know, you if a man was if a man measured his success by the portraits that are made, you're of one of the most successful men in the world. <laughs> You're in like only, the upper one percent right there. Two of two of I hope many. You know, like I'm th- I'm 34. Hopefully by the end of my one, life I'll have one. You get one every 17 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get your next one when you're 51. Yeah. <laughs> so or about. <laughs> Dane uh, Dane Diamond, who we've had on this podcast several times, he mm-hmm. saw that picture online and he just sent me this huge post that was just like laughing face laughter laughing face after laughing face he's like i love it but i was like yeah i mean it's weird dude it's it's i'm an elf you know i'm an elf so who, who did that was it a co-worker or was it a customer uh it's a um a hired painter for the event so oh, she does live cool. live painting and uh she's done a couple so well, it, you know it reminds me of this uh, Hannah Gatsby joke. So Hannah Gatsby has this joke. She was an art history major, and she in one of her uh, stand-up specials, she she's 
talking about paintings, you know, uh, classical paintings. And there's one where uh, it's a bunch of naked women in a field, and one of them has like a shawl wrapped around him, and the shawl yeah. like goes into her butt yeah. crack. And he's yeah. like, he's like, this isn't a photo. This is a painting, which makes that a decision. <laughs> You know, someone ha- th- that didn't just happen by accident. Someone yeah. planned that, and like that's the smartest thing she did in that that special. It's such know. a funny joke, like using the word decision. Uh, yeah, because she got so much crap for her last mm-hmm. special. Uh, this is a different conversation. We, I don't know. <laughs> you're opening the can of worms with this conversation about Hannah Gatsby. Uh, I just, it's just, you know, I was just saying that, like, when someone paints something, they're yeah. they're making a commitment of it's some very, kind. Of it's very intentional. Yeah, very intentional, and yeah. it's a lot of work, you know, and time. Yeah. When so she like, was doing it, when she was doing it, I made sure to walk by because I was like, I want her. I don't want my face. I don't want to look like Mick Jagger. You know, <laughs> you don't look like Mick Jagger. Oh, when I walked by a first time. I was like, oh, and then, and then, and then I was like, oh, this is me. And I'm like, this is what my face looks like. If you want to make any adjustments, now's the time to do it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. You're you're an asshole. (laughs) Now, this is me. Months to scream. Yep. <laughs> That's a good segue. Uh, Aww. She br- what'd she bring you? Coffee? She brought me a peppermint mocha, which I've been dying for. Aww. I told her to do that. That's why I texted oh, her. So I bring him a, mo- a peppermint mocha. Oh. <laughs> Man, to Thank be loved. You. <laughs> to be loved. It is nice. <laughs> um. What- Yes, today you're right. It's a good segue, <laughs> which is why I did it. Because um, today we're talking about Home Alone. Oh, uh, this was kind of a joint choice by you and me. Yeah, uh, because we both really wanted to do this movie for our final installment of our Jingle Bell Watch series, our series of holiday films for this month. Uh, and this is going to be the last one, even though technically we will have one more episode before the year's over. Um, so keep an eye out for that. But we're not doing a movie, right? Well, Seth, you ruined the surprise. Oh, it's the surprise? No, we will say. We are going to do a movie. You yeah. can cut it out. No, no, no. We're, uh, yeah, we're not going to do a movie next week. We're going to do a... Uh, isn't that a cat, too? Hi. Meow. Sorry, zoo. folks. This is apparently a zoo episode. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, we're going to be doing uh, an end of the year kind of recap and just uh, uh, looking back on the year reflection episode, going back some ep- through some episodes, some of the conversations that we've had, and just kind of uh, you know in the in the spirit of the show, reflecting on the year of the show. Um, yeah, because we have been doing a year, we have not missed a single week. Other than other than we started the year doing bi-weekly, so every other week. Wait, so so January, the first week of January is when we started? No, so I believe it was second week of January. Wow, I can't believe it's been a year, man. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. Go yeah. us. Yeah. Go us. And again, yeah. we, haven't missed, we haven't missed a week despite vacations and work and this and that. Um, when we hit 70 episodes, we should talk marketing. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sure, we'll talk marketing when we hit seventy episodes. Um, seventy-seven. 
77. Why 77? I don't know. It just seems like a good. It's a, it's, it's a, such an us number. It's such a weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why not make it 73? <laughs> we can just do 70. We can just do 70. <laughs> like it matters. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, so we both picked this movie uh, also like as a way of like being like, oh, like that way we're starting the new year all basically on like a new, a new rotation because we both selected this one. So it's not like it's either of our choices. Um, but it's also, and forgive me for speaking for both of us, one of our favorite Christmas movies. Uh, I think, I mean. It's my favorite not, Christmas movie. I'm not going to put it in top five movies of all time, but maybe top ten movies of all time. It's a great maybe, movie. Maybe in terms of like most impactful films on our lives. Like inevitably, this film, when it came out, there was just no way it wasn't going to super affect us. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's so good. And we were around the age of Kevin, you know? Well, I, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> oh, really? I was born in 91. Oh, okay. I was you four three, years old. Yeah, you were three or four. I was four. I was four. Yeah. And so like, but, but I mean, I grew up with this movie already being in my life, right? Yeah. That The movie, we'll talk about the history of this movie, but this movie hit in 1990 and was huge. Even back then, it was huge. And so yeah. I grew up with this movie being a mainstay of my life, right? Yeah. yeah. Like this, I mean, I've never existed in a world where Home Alone didn't exist. The 90s kids, this film is like what you want your childhood to be. I don't know. It's like mm-hmm. there's something about it that's so connected to my childhood. Mm-hmm. You know? I would venture to say, and maybe this is my bias showing. Kids films have never been as good as they were in the 90s and early 2000s. Like kids films back then were so special. They've yeah. not been that special since. Well, cuz they they were not as Kids fearful. movies weren't kids movies. They were just movies that were like kid friendly. Yeah, yeah. And now they've become kids movies and they're yeah. not that good anymore. Yeah. There's I mean no, there are no some, s- don't get me wrong, but like not the same. It's hard to make one. I mean like the last one like Coco was good, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, it's dealing with death, right? right. So it's like, there's stakes. That's you super, know? so you, that's what you can argue Pixar, but, but again, I think Pixar makes movies that I wouldn't say are for, no. they're for kids, but a not really audience. Yeah. There's just a really good movie that is yeah. extremely kid friendly, but a lot of the themes are very adult or as far yeah. as like being able to comprehend exactly what's going on. Yeah. Pixar is good at making a movie that has two, two layers, a layer that it's like the kids will get this out of this yeah. and maybe subconsciously will get something deeper where the adults are going to get something completely, you know, something that's underneath a lot of what's going on here. The, Home Alone was a, like if you think about it in our generation so deeply impactful because it's not just okay yeah it's a christmas movie with macaulay calkin whatever but the story itself and the fact that it was uh um a uh john hughes film right set kind of like the sub the the cultural subconscious tone to that style of filmmaking so like all, all the other John Hughes films, even like the trajectory of like our appreciation of SNL and comedy, like I think can somewhat be attributed to this movie's success, you know, like, uh, I mean, think about, so we have a buddy, 
Harrison Cantner, uh, it like he is obsessed with Christmas, mm-hmm. you know, and he's also obsessed with John Hughes, and he's obsessed with everything because this Chicago Christmas comedy culture is so entrenched in this movie and like i think affected us so much as kids is like this is this is america Mm. like this is like what america is supposed to be like i don't know we'll we'll get more into it but Mm. i i just think it's interesting like it is very middle america values yeah i mean like our whole basically our whole like so when ricky and i were in chicago doing um doing improv together and and creating sketch shows all of our show choices essentially were derivatives of these john hughes films meeting home alone you know like we did a christmas show every year and we always donated the money to the children's hospital (laughs) and so like it just there was just like this vibe that felt like the values that were instilled by these movies. You know what? You, you have a point. So, like, we, we basically were doing planes, trains, and automobiles, like, vibe as far as, like, the heart of things. Yeah. But we were adding Home Alone level chaos. Yeah. 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 I get what you're saying. And trust me, chaos ensued. Oh, my God. Yeah. Those shows. Like, there was one show where we had live a live bat- car battery. That show was awesome. That was our <laughs> best show, for sure. We did like a we did a, a Frankenstein, uh, Rudolph, uh, Rudolph sketch, uh, yeah. and there was a live car battery on stage. Yeah. With, it was not. It was like not he, safe. Nope. It was not safe, but it was cool. It was cool, and, and uh, I mean, you know what? He's a engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he had a handle on the safety. Yeah. And he had rubber gloves on, but still, but still. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) when he, I remember that moment where he like, I like wheel out this battery and these things and he, he touches them together and they spark and they're live in the audience goes, ah, the the concept of that show though, is I think genius. Mm -hmm. Like, like taking you know like uh so what it was was called the roughest christmas pageant ever so we did everybody's heard of the the best christmas pageant ever right Mm -hmm. so like it's about a bunch of orphans who put on a christmas play and so taking that to the roughest christmas pageant ever which was our version from the rough gut players who were essentially orphans of the, of of the, the improv, improv community. community. Yeah. And then the concept of it was Christmas bones, you know, just like have, have like six or seven bits that we knew we were going to do, but everything else was improvised in between. And it was chaos because we all got to the show that day, you know, and we had to figure out how to do it. So like mirrors were breaking, like, like everything crazy stuff happened, you know, and oh, but but like the idea to make that part of the show, I think is really cool. And I mean, honestly, that that has set me up for what I kind of want to do in the future, you know, for, with, with show producing, not mm-hmm. nearly as much chaos, but like 
essentially the same structure, right? Mm. Like using like lily pads, but having potential for stuff to happen in between, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, Home Alone, super impactful. Uh, uh, I mean, I can't, I can't even say it's so, it's so ingrained in my subconscious as far as how much this movie like affects me. I watched it again two, three times before this. And I'm like, man, this movie is so good. And it I know that's, that's, good. that's a bias a little bit. Cause like, yeah, it's aged in certain ways, but like, not much. It's just, it's just, it's, it only, it's not only feel good, it's funny and it's creative. It's super well written. It's well written. Structurally, it's, it's, it's what, it's good. There's, I mean, it's got everything you want, in a, especially in a Christmas movie. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how this film came to be. So a little bit of this film's history for you guys. Um, so this film was written by John Hughes, as we talked about. Uh, but it was directed by Chris Columbus. Chris Columbus very famously also directed Adventures in Babysitting, Heartbreak Hotel, Only the Lonely, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Mrs. Doubtfire, Nine Months, Stepmom, Bicentennial Man, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Rent, I Love You Beth Cooper, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief, Pixels, and The Christmas Chronicles. You may also know him as one of the writers of Gremlins. So, you know. Mm-mm. If you want to talk about influential people in our lives, Chris Columbus is definitely up there. Not to be confused yeah. with Christopher Columbus, completely different Chris Columbus. Horrible person, Chris. We don't Columbus. talk about the other Christopher Columbus, even though he has a holiday. <laughs> we don't talk about him. We don't talk about Columbus. <laughs> um, but yeah, and obviously John Hughes, we talked about last week, but if you need a reminder, John Hughes wrote things such as National Lampoon's Class Reunion, Mr. Mom, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Nate and Hayes, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, European Vacation, Weird Science, Pretty in Pink, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Some Kind of Wonderful, She's Having a Baby, The Great Outdoors, Uncle Buck, National Lampoon's Vacation, Home Alone, Career Opportunities, Dutch, Curly Sue, Beethoven, Home Alone 2, Dennis the Menace, Baby's Day Out, Miracle on 34th Street, 101 Dalmatians, Flubber, Home Alone 3, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Reach the Rock, Just Visiting, and the stories of Made in Manhattan and Drew Taylor. So, yeah. Prolific. Yeah. Prolific. Prolific. So, with the pieces in place, let's talk about the actual story. So, as the story goes... Writer John Hughes was preparing to go on vacation with his family. While making a list of things he didn't want to forget, he thought to himself, well, I don't want to forget the kids. But what if I did? This small thought <laughs> grew into <laughs> grew into an eight-page series of notes of all the things he thought his 10-year-old son would do if he was left home with to his own devices. Sure, it would be all fun and games at first, but then he would get scared. This idea would eventually blossom into the screenplay for Home Alone. Initially, the film was set up at Warner Brothers with an estimated budget of about $10 million, which was extremely cheap by that era's standards. Question. Yes. Wait, what year did this film come out? 1990? 1990. What year did Die Hard come out? 87? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, it... Yes. <laughs> it's Die Hard. It's, it's Children's Die, die Hard. hard. With a child. <laughs> yeah, it's Children's Die Hard for sure. 
Die Hard has become the template for a lot of different yeah. movies. Kids die harder <laughs> <laughs> because they're soft. They have softer bones. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> I don't know. It's sad when children die. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, so the, the film had an estimated budget of about $10 million. At least that was the budget submitted to Warner Brothers, which was, again, very cheap for that time period. Uh, but Warner Brothers was hesitant. So Hughes secretly approached 20th Century Fox to see if they would also potentially be interested in the film should things fall through with Warner. Somehow, through Hollywood back channels, the script illegally found its way into Fox's hands. Then, when Warner Brothers demanded that Hughes cut the budget down to a $1.2 million budget, the production fell apart and Warner shut the film down completely. Luckily, Fox was able to swoop in and scoop up the film during turnaround, and the budget would eventually balloon up to $18 million when things were all said and done. That's how they afforded the second van. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) (laughs) It was how they got John Candy. Oh, no, John Candy only worked for like four hundred dollars as a favor to John Hughes. Whoa, like, that's shot, so. They cool. shot all his stuff in one day. It took twenty three hours, but they shot all his stuff, and he, he they only paid him four hundred fourteen dollars. I love him so much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hughes approached director Chris Columbus to direct the film years after Columbus had left Hughes's one of Hughes's other projects. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation due to disagreements with its star, Chevy Chase, whom Columbus says treated him like dirt. Hughes gave Columbus a copy of both Home Alone and Reaching the Stone, and Columbus chose Home Alone, even doing an uncredited rewrite of the script to add in the subplot of Old Man Marley. Then came time for what would be one of the most important aspects of the film, casting. Hughes recommended casting Macaulay Culkin as Kevin after his experience working with the young upcoming star on Uncle Buck. However, over 200 actors auditioned for the role, and even a young John Mulaney was asked to come in. Huh. He didn't he didn't actually audition. He was so Hughes saw him in a youth sketch show and asked him to audition, but his parents wouldn't let him. I don't know why that makes me mad. <laughs> We'll have to unpack that. Uh, but Just the fact that he's been in the industry this long. John like, Mulaney? Yeah. Like, man, it just it just goes to show you, like, you can't, you got to be, you got to be born into it, you know? Like, it sucks. Yeah, you got to start like, young. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's honestly, it's a time, it's a time game, right? The longer yeah. you're in it, the more opportunities you get. If you start young. Yeah. I'm putting yeah. in my, my young, my youth years in now yeah yeah um but yeah so you know amongst these 200 actors that auditioned columbus ultimately agreed that culkin was perfect choice for kevin some other famous actors auditioned for parts in this in this movie including robert de niro and john lovitz for harry kelsey Grammer for uncle frank chris farley for the santa impersonator and daniel roebuck for marv just to name a few however I think we could all agree the roles went to exactly who they should have. Yeah, for sure. During filming, uh, there were some onset challenges. Many chunks of the film are set at night, which gave the crew a very limited time to shoot some scenes since Culkin legally couldn't film after 10 p.m. due to his age. That, paired with the reported difficulties with legend Joe Pesci, causing production to change their morning call times from 7 to 9 a.m., led to a difficult shoot. 
But eventually, despite all of that, Home Alone did premiere in theaters in November of 1990 and was a massive success. It came in at number one at the box office for 12 consecutive weeks and remained in the top 10 all the way through April. So wow. November through April in top That's 10. That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. And it did that on its way to grossing over $476 million worldwide on that quote-unquote ballooned $18 million budget. And again, that's yeah. $1990, so that's even more so today, uh, making it the top-grossing film of 1990, the highest-grossing Christmas film of all time until it was surpassed by Dr. Seuss's The Grinch in 2008. Oh, that's that's deflating. Mm-hmm. It's just, again, it's, it's Jim Carrey – yeah. It's Dr. Seuss. It had a lot more. This was an original IP going against a lot yeah. of IP. Yeah. <laughs> and it's also the highest gross. It was the highest grossing live action comedy of all time to that point. And then by the end of its run, Home Alone was the third highest grossing film of all time. Wow. Second only to Star Wars and E.T. That's crazy. Yeah. That's so, crazy. you know, that's high praise. <laughs> uh, but the film wasn't just a box office success. It was also a critical success as it received two Oscar nominations, both to John Williams's genius score and best original song, which it would ultimately lose. But, you know, say la vie. However, even though the film only had a Rotten Tomatoes score of 67%, many what? still... I know! Many still consider the film to be one of the greatest and most iconic Christmas films of all time. So I gotta say... John Hughes, look what you did, you little jerk. <laughs> <laughs> That's the story of Home Alone. Oh, man. I, uh, yeah, I love this movie so much. Uh, but just like, I mean, and the lines are so iconic, you know, like, like, look what you did, you little jerk. There's so many great or, lines. Or like, or like, buzz your girlfriend. Woof. <laughs> It's one of my favorites. And then the glass shatters. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What are you doing? Me? Yeah. Nothing. I'm altering my log line. I forgot oh. to change something. Oh. Uh, uh, All right. While he's doing that. Okay, anyway. Yeah. It's, oh, my God. So many iconic lines. Uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of some. Yeah. Look what you did, you little jerk. Uh, you know, you oh, know. my favorite, my favorite one, my favorite one. I wouldn't let you sleep in my room if you were growing on my ass. <laughs> plus I think your, honestly, plus your girlfriend Wolf is a good one too. Uh, I I think honestly, so I watched, I used to watch both Home Alone one and two every year. Awesome. And then and then last year I watched Home Alone two and I was like, okay. Home Alone 1 is far superior. Far superior. Far Not that Home superior. Alone 2 is... <laughs> Speaking of John Mulaney, he has a whole joke about Home Alone, Home Alone 2. The whole grid system how do you thing. Get, how do you get lost yeah. in New York? The streets are numbered. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I think the only integrity... Like, some of the only integrity that's left over from uh, the original mm -hmm. is Buzz and Kevin's relationship. Like, that carries. It does carry. But... Most everything else is just like, oh, this is just a repeat. Yeah. You know? Uh, uh, like Maybe a little cash grabby. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, there's some iconic moments. Oh, yeah. You know, like the pizza in the limousine. Like, what kid would not want that? Oh, the like, to- and the toy store. I-, I think there's, like, upward. I think, honestly, that's where they went wrong with Home Alone 2. They is... went bigger? No, they didn't go big enough. Like, oh. like they focused too much on, they, they had to get to the prank scenes. You know? Like, like what if that's that's a good point so like kevin does a couple of like little pranks early in this first one like with the pizza guy and so he does a a couple little pranksies early but not really um most of this film's you know the thing that people really think about this movie the most about is like all the traps and things like that the little that only takes place in the last like 30 minutes of the movie exactly it's like the last 25 minutes and here's what makes me angry there's families there's families that don't watch the movie at Christmas time. They just watch the prank scenes. They what? Sit down Who's and, that? Isn't that garbage? No, that's a thing. The, a thing. There's so, there's, no, a there's so thing. much great stuff going yes. on in the beginning. That's yes. what, like a lot of like, sure, like the traps are like all the slapstick, but like there's so much good comedy going on in. But I, I think in, that's truthfully why this movie did well, so well, is because I'm not trying to judge people, you know. But there is a, we'll call it a groundling level of comedy that comes from physical comedy. Yeah. Right? And so, like, though the movie was good, I mean, we have, like, you don't get to see Buster Keaton style comedy anymore. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You don't get to see that slapstick, physical, Three Stooges comedy that really does speak to a huge population, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think that's how the net of this film worked. Mm-hmm. It's because it had that sequence in it, mm-hmm. right? But it has the, the the sharp, like situational and the sharp like this one has really good timing. Like that's yeah. I think what makes it funny. Like the jokes aren't like revolutionary jokes, but like the timing with a lot of these things is just so it's just so good. Uh, you know. Um, I can't think of like anything off the I mean like the him walking home with the groceries and them just ripping yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at the same exact time and he's just like Well, <sighs> I mean I, well that's I think that's what made uh Macaulay Calkin He's a, he is is because the best. He's he spot has, on. He has incredible sharp incredibly sharp timing. Yes. Like like he his the way he banters is just so quick with mm-hmm. adults. You know what I mean? Like, there's no processing. There's no, like, he just, and and, and even the delivery is, like, perfect. Like, mm. he was a little comic oh, yeah. at eight years old, you know? Like, the way, at the beginning of the movie, the way he talks to his family is insane. Family like, stuck. Yeah, yeah, like, like, get off, hang up the phone and make me, why don't you? Yeah! Like, <laughs> <laughs> Which is so Chicago, you know? Like it's so hang up the like phone and make me, why don't you? hang up the phone and make me why don't you? And like even the way he like acts, like look who's been getting in there with the glue gun again. He's like no, you know, like he is. <laughs> like, I can't use the old fish hooks with yeah. the dried worm guts stuck <laughs> on them. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> he's great. No, he's great. He's perfect. He's one of the reasons why this movie is so good. Because um, he's I would so say good. The, I would say he is seventy seven percent. Yeah, he's great. Why this movie's and, so good? An all time performance for for yeah. sure. 
Um, I mean, I think Joe Pesci brought it home. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like. I think he. Had I don't know. Power. I'm a Marv. I'm a Marv stand. No, no, no. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not taking away from Marv. Marv is a master of physical Daniel, comedy. Daniel Stern is one of the best physical performances I've ever seen. Marv. Yes. In, in the second movie too, he's amazing. Yeah. yeah. He's but so good at that style of comedy. I think Joe Pesci had the star power, mm-hmm. and he had the ominous presence. I was just gonna say he has an intensity about him that is scary. Uh, I mean, even though he's a, like a little guy, he's intense. And to a, a kid, he a would mobster. be scary. Yeah, you know, he's a mobster. So he's, like, you, he's he carries all that. He carries yeah. all that darkness. You know? Yeah. So it's like, it's like, to, the, he's a real bad guy. Yeah. To a kid, Joe Pesci is is threatening. That's for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. Oh gosh, this movie. You're sick. You're <laughs> sick, Marv. You're sick. What kind of person does that? <laughs> We're the wet bit. <laughs> We're gonna get caught because of you. All kids, no parents. Must be some kind of fancy orphanage. <laughs> like I, I honestly, while I was watching this movie, I was like mouthing the all yeah, the lines. Yeah, yeah. I know this movie so well. I could almost recite the whole damn thing. And, you know, every time I watch this, I, I want to applaud John Hughes. Like, the cop at the beginning being the bad guy. Yes. Is well, genius. So we'll it's get it. Genius. We'll get into this. We'll get into this uh, in the theme because you're right. So this movie is, like, all about – and I kind of alluded to this in, like, the intro. It's about your home, right? Your home. You're yeah. in your place of comfort. You're in the place that's supposed to be safe. And then it's not safe. Yeah. So that's like it's it's the title itself is an oxymoron. Home alone. You're you're in your safest place, but you're vulnerable, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's like I said, I'll get into more of an elaborate on that later. But like, yeah, you're right. Like putting a per and then it's genius because it makes. Like, I don't want to. Okay, we're getting into we're we're skipping things. We're going to get into this in a second. Um, but let's talk about what this film is. For any of you that don't know Home Alone, <laughs> but but anyway, we're playing the we're playing our 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 main mainstay game. Seth, you know what time it is? Yes. It's time to Let's judge. <laughs> Go ahead. No, let's hear it. Let's hear it. I'm trying to come up with something else. No, we'll do it on our week off. Judge Ricky's writing. <laughs> Judge my writing. I don't like that. That sounds scarier than vlogging yeah, the log. Because vlogging the log is you us talking about the log line. Judge Ricky's writing is a, is a judgment of me. It's not like a judgment it. of you. It's not a judge. I mean, vlog the log is fine. It's just it does it has. I don't know. Flog has a connotation. Yes, yes. That we necessarily don't want. How about we... Okay. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. We'll figure it out. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. So, here is what this film is. This is the log line I've crafted literally while we were talking. <laughs> um, and uh, hopefully it's good. So, here we go. When eight-year-old Kevin McAllister's family accidentally leaves him home during a holiday vacation, what started off as a dream come true quickly becomes a nightmare as Kevin must defend his home from a pair of shifty burglars. I'm going to give you a nine. Woo! I think you can change one word. Shifty burglars? No. uh, 
not leaves him home. Oh. Uh, leaves him behind. Behind. I think is a better word. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Other than that, other than that, leaves him behind. Okay, that's a fair point. I that was the set that first sentence that you are critiquing is the one I was reshifting around. Yeah, I, did I, that I mean, on the fly. I don't. I don't know why, but I don't. I don't want to. He- I don't want to hear the title in the logline. Home. You don't want to hear the word home. I don't want to hear the word home. Like home alone. And then I want to hear what it's about, but I don't want to ha- hear the word home. I don't know why. It just sounds redundant. It sounds it does. too repetitive. It does. I get what you're saying. Okay. Let me, I'm doing my new. Oh, your new score? Yes, my new score. Uh, is that right? Is that right? You sexy than a ma. All right, there we go. Woo! Went up eight point three two. Eight point three two. I've been on a pretty good run lately since yeah. Black Panther, since that horrible showing for Triangle of Sadness. Thanks a lot, Seth. <laughs> uh, I've gone nine, eight point eight, seven point nine, ten, nine, eight point five, nine. I am on a streak right now. Nice. I think I'm starting to get the hang of this log line thing. Yeah. That's good. I just That's why I wanted to play this game. Because <laughs> I wanted to get better at writing my log lines. Cool. So, it is time for the titular question. So since you, know, you know what it should movie. be called? You know what it should be called? I just thought of it. What? It's perfect. Riding with Ricky. Uh-huh. <laughs> Only you get that joke, and like maybe one or two other people. But it still works. It, it still does. works. Okay, you want to change it? It's time for riding R- with Ricky. Riding with Ricky. It's riding with Ricky. It's the best time of day. <laughs> the movie suck. No. <laughs> no, I think I think this works. Yeah, I think sure, riding man. with Ricky's great. Maybe we'll re-release those riding with Ricky's. There's only two of them. I. I mean, my life has been riding with Ricky. And aren't you the better for it? You know? (laughs) I think so. All right, all right, all right. So, Seth, since we both picked this movie, we should both ask each other the question at the exact same time. I'm sorry. Both of us are dumb that we've never thought of that before. Riding with Ricky? I don't know. We're not dumb. Not dumb, just like sitting right in front of us. We're preoccupied. Yeah. (laughs) All right, Seth. So, let's ask each other the titular question at the same time here. Ready? Yeah. On the count of three. So Ricardo, Steph. Ricardo. Wait, we have to say three. Yeah. <laughs> One, <laughs> two, three. Ricardo so Blade Diaz. Home alone. Home alone. What's, What's it, about? it about? I'll fix that in post. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll go first since I already started kind of getting yeah, yeah. into a little bit of line. Um. So yeah, this is. I think there's a lot of stuff going on here. There's obviously a lot of play. This is a very much a transitional phase of kid to adult. I think that this movie is like, you got to grow up a little bit kind of thing. You have to be more mature. Um, But within that, I think specifically this movie is when put to the test, you are capable of more than you think you are. Yes. I agree with a lot of that. Um, And specifically, you know, it's because it, it's all in, this movie is all about Kevin. It's all about Kevin. I mean, there are, there are other elements of it. Um, 
I think you can also see a little bit of this mirrored in Old Man Marley's character, right? Which is um, a very I, I would like to maybe uh, literature analyze that. Well, that the fact choice he's of the name Marley, Marley. as in yeah. like Christmas Carol. Yeah, he's like he's a, a ghost of your possible future. Yeah, estrangement from yeah. your family. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Um, what a great add-in, Christopher Columbus. Good job. Yeah. Uh, it's not Christopher Columbus, sorry, Chris Columbus. We don't talk about the other Christopher Columbus. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, this movie is about, this is Kevin. This is Kevin's movie. It's We see it, we see, we're even experiencing this movie through Kevin's eyes, right? We We see how his family treats him, which is bad. They're not nice to him. I get the families, like, our families, but, like, he does get like he says. Yeah. I'm I get dunked on. He does yeah, get dunked yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Like some of that is self imposed because he's kind of a little bit bratty. He's a little bit and you know he's the baby other than but Fuller. But like I feel he's like he's spoiled. learned to he's learned to speak like that from his right. siblings. Yeah, from Buzz and from yeah. Libby. Yeah, because uh, yeah. they they're sassy too. They're little yeah. privileged white kids who yeah. are just like a little bit spoiled. They're so rich. They're yeah, so rich. Obscenely. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes, they're very rich. So there's a little bit of like spoiled upper class going on here, yeah. or at least upper middle class. Um, and so, but yeah, Kevin does get treated like shit in his family. They're not nice to him. Nobody is. Um, and so, yeah, you kind of are on his side a little bit at the beginning. People are really mean to him, <laughs> you know? Um, and Uncle Frank, Uncle Frank sucks. Yeah, Uncle Frank, what an asshole. Yeah. He plays so good. He plays that part so well. He does. He does. You like you like that he's an asshole. This but is he's real crystal. This is put it in your purse. Put it in your purse. Champagne's free, right? <laughs> hey, don't feel bad. I forgot my reading glasses. <laughs> yeah. Uh but you know, yeah, in general, um people are not nice to Kevin his family. And so like when they're gone. You're with him a little bit. It's kind of like, yeah, man. Like, there's a little bit of wish fulfillment going on. You're with Kevin in this. Of like, yeah. that would be fun. Like, right now, Justin's not not here. He's out of town for the holidays. And I will say, like, it is a little bit freeing to, like, be in your house by yourself. Yeah. It feels like you you can kind of just, like, let loose a little bit more. You don't have to feel so, so, uh, uh, not held back is the wrong word, but uh, shackled by the fact that you have to, like, share space with another person. Yeah. You have to um, think about others. You know, right. You can't, you can't walk around the house naked. You right. Know? Right, right. There's, yeah. So so as much as I, I've lived by myself before and it gets it can get very lonely. But like when you've lived with a person for a while and then they're gone for like a week or so, it's kind of nice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I totally get that. Like it is a wish fulfillment thing of like if you're a kid and you had no rules, what would well, you do? As a kid, that's that's like the best. Uh-huh. It's like I can do anything I want. Mm -hmm. But then this movie does such a good job again of like connecting with kids, but also connecting with adults of like, uh, Oh yeah, it's fun until you start to start doing things by yourself. Yeah. And we experience the fact that Kevin has to start growing up a little bit because he's, you know, he's so helpless in the beginning. Everybody says so like Kevin can't do anything by himself. That, That Although, you know, he's very intelligent. He's a very smart, sharp kid. You know, he's makes, he, he can, he can do things by himself just what he wants, right? He, well, it's not that he think, can't do things. It's that he refuses well, to do them. 
we're getting into conversations. We're getting into conversations we've had before a little bit. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't know how to pack a suitcase. Mm-hmm. Like it is beyond him mm-hmm. how to pack a suitcase. And I think that hack about, my suitcase. That moment is so great. Like I think I think it's very, that moment is very important in this movie mm-hmm. because he's such an adult. Like he's like a little adult mm-hmm. and everything he does. And then this moment comes where he's like forced to potentially have to do a thing, but not really because his, his sister's like, you know, your mom, you know, mom's going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. You know, mom's going to do it. Like, don't worry about it. Just, you know, he, she tries to take the pressure off in that way. Mm-hmm. But like, you're what the French call les incompetents. Yeah. 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 But like, that mo- that moment is so important because it's showing us like you you don't know how to do things until you're forced to learn to do them. Mm-hmm. You know, a little bit of uh, I think in what the you know in learn in the phases of learning your yeah. unconscious incompetence. You don't know yes. what you can't do yeah. until you're faced with it. Yeah, yeah, and so like his I think it's very important because this this moment reinforces that he still is a kid. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, he's not going to know everything, mm-hmm. you know, um, which I think is important for the character because he does a lot. He does, he's, he's actually no, he's, pretty good at a he's, lot. Again, yeah, he's very, very smart and he's very a capable kid. He, like, he does everything that he needs to do. Cause he, but he's still a kid. He's still a kid, right? Yeah. yeah. And I think that's what I was saying. This was a movie. So it's not a, a, a question of, you're completely, you know, everybody's is telling him in his head, you're completely helpless. Everybody has to do everything for you. You can't do anything. And, you know, at the end of the movie, he went shopping. He can't even tie his shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and he went yeah, shopping. Yeah, yeah. You know, like that's how his family views him as this like incompetent baby, basically. And it's like, no, no, no. He's very capable. It's a question of maturity. Yeah. And circumstance. Right. right? Because... Like, like we said, he's in a very privileged family who's very wealthy. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can even see that with the way his sister deals with him. It's like, it's like, you really don't have to worry about it. Like mm-hmm. it'll get taken care of, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. We're not going to wake up in the morning and leave for the airport. And you not have a yeah. suitcase. Yeah, exactly. We might not bring you. <laughs> <laughs> we slept in! <laughs> That that sequence is so good. It's so the music. It's just like oh, like they do a great job because it's like oh we don't we aren't thinking about Kevin either. No, like <laughs> like like we 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 know that he's getting forgotten mm-hmm. because that's the Movie. setup of the film. Yeah, but like it's so perfect. Like, yeah, that I think that's what this movie does. Like I, I'm still kind of honing in on my thingling, but like, I think that's what this movie like something so cool that this movie does. I think this is connected to my thingling, mm-hmm. but I think I want to bound off yours too. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, this is maybe the closest depiction of how magic actually works. I, saw, dude, I holy shit! I actually wrote this down. This film captures the spirit of holiday magic more to me. Than the Santa Claus did, yeah. And that movie's about holiday magic. It's weird, like like this film does kind of like 
allude that there might be something magical happening. You know, with like the yeah. whole, you know, he makes this wish, and then like obviously the storm blows in, and you get like this like weird like zoom in, crash zoom on like a Santa breath shaking, and then the tree falls and knocking out the power, and you see yeah. his his ticket gets like his plane ticket gets pushed into the trash when the, everything spills on all the th- like you're right and then his mom having a sense that something is wrong like there yeah there is a it's a, perfect it's in a the perfect furnace illusion. yeah it's a, perf- it's a perfect illusion and so so i want to get into that but it's like if 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 God, to me, if God is real, this is kind of how God works, mm-hmm. right? Like, it, it's too perfect. It's too, like, the timing of it is so perfectly in line that it seems like something else is going on, mm-hmm. right? But may, you could also say nothing's going on. It's just all, all happenstance and, mm-hmm. and uh, coincidence, you know? Yeah. So, so I think that's really cool. And I think that's what makes the writing in this film so good is like the illusion itself is perfectly set up, you know, down to, down to the, the Murphy's kid being in the car. Like, it's like, so like that would happen. That could happen. You know, like having good trips, (laughs) bring me back something French. Yeah. And he has the same outfit as Kevin. We see Kevin wearing almost the exact same outfit later. Yeah, and then like the the phone lines going out, like because of the storm the night before, which is also like caused the electricity to go out. Like you have the fact that they're going to France is important because they're in the air over the ocean when they realize, mm-hmm. so they can't turn around. Yeah. So they have to go to France. You know, like all those little details. Like there's not much in this movie that's like logically fallible there's one and and this may be a product of the era because again i wasn't alive during when this movie came out so i don't know what airports were like um as far as security goes but like you know i can only speak to like nowadays like you know going through security with a big group you don't start going to your gate until you know you have everybody with you Right. That doesn't. That didn't exist then. I think I didn't. I don't know. I didn't. No. I don't know. So, so you you went straight to the gate. You went straight really? to the gate. Yeah, there was no security like that. Like, that's a, no, we live in a post nine yeah. eleven world. That's yeah. all I really know. Yeah. So like back then, like there the only check in really was at the gate itself. Mm. So like, you know, you had to get, you had to drop off your bags and stuff, but there was no like security checkpoint Mm -hmm. with metal detectors and all that stuff so uh i mean you 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 used to be able to smoke on airplanes you know so oh that'd be horrible i'm so glad that's they don't do that anymore oh my god being in a being in a closed metal tube with someone that's smoking for for 17 hours the only and maybe some cop can attest to this for the time period maybe there's some laws i'm not aware of but like that's the only foul logical fallacy that i see is that the cops didn't do more to try to find that's the other thing if someone it's like i know we left our son at home he's not on this plane like he like he's a good tartar counter kids are good it's like no 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 
we were on that plane. He is not on this plane. So like yeah. he's either in the airport or he's not with us at all. Right. I so mean, like maybe like, no, yeah, no a cop's one, just like, not going to bang on the door and be like, yeah. Oh, I guess no one's home. Like, of course that kid's probably not going to answer that. But Maybe problem. they're yeah. legally not allowed to go into the house. You know, maybe, like, maybe that's but like, they, a, but they, like, this is like a family emergency. So I think they could. And if, especially cause they, the mom and the dad, the owner of the property are giving them permission to enter the house. Maybe. I don't like, know. Like, Again, yeah, we don't know the laws of that time and like how things work, but you're right. Like in this, in this sense, I feel like the police would also do more to like make to check on the kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. They wouldn't just throw up their hands and be like, meh, meh. Like, no. Like, there's a child's life in, involved. It's potentially very dangerous. Um, so, like, yeah, you figure yeah. out if that kid's in there and if he's okay. That, that's like the only. One. And this was uh, as alluding to earlier is that by this time. I think Kevin, if I remember correctly, Kevin had seen the – so you know, in the beginning of the movie, again, we see Harry posing as a police officer and he's basically casing all these houses and uh, pretending to be a police officer, like checking in to make sure everybody's secure for the holidays and if they're leaving. So um, we see Harry as a cop and Kevin sees Harry and he sees him smile and he has that little glint of his little yeah. tooth, right? And I think – if I'm remembering this correctly, Harry, uh, Kevin sees Harry again in the van, uh, or you know, and sees him smile after he almost gets hit by the van, and sees the glint of the tooth and recognizes him yeah. as the cop. Yeah, you, you know, and so yeah. that, and so I think that's what makes him. He's like, I can't trust the police. It's right. taking right. away something that's supposed to make you feel safe and secure, and making yeah. it something that's causing you fear. That makes sense. I think if I remember how that sequence works out. So Kevin sees a police officer or hears a police officer and is immediately afraid. Yeah. You know, I, to, to kind of like expound on like the, the illusion, the perfect illusion thing Mm -hmm. a little bit more. uh, Even the very end, I think is so well done. Oh, the timing with the mom getting there and then the family getting in there like minutes after her. Yeah. But like, not only that, there's like a, there's like a, an ex, there's a, a couple layers of of storytelling right. and writing going so on. So Kevin, after Kevin learns his lesson and he succeeds and he's matured a little bit, he makes that the real wish of like, I wish my family was back. He goes and, to see Santa. He goes to yeah. see Santa and he's like, Santa, all I want for Christmas is my family back, mm-hmm. you know? And even Uncle Frank, if... You, you can, know. yeah, if you can. Yeah, yeah. And, and so what's cool about it and like, it hit me different this time. When John I Candy it. Santa. <laughs> kind of. He delivers his mom. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sheboygan. We're very big Sheboygan. at Sheboygan. Big at Sheboygan. Those <laughs> lines. All of those lines. Apparently oh, a lot of that oh, was oh, ad lib. Uh, yeah. Like they're so good. So, so yeah. Good. Hughes gave, gave Candy. He's like, you're the only person that's allowed to, to, to go off script. Everybody else had to say on script. Candy could do whatever you wanted. I mean, like, I know Catherine O'Hara was very young, but she's so brilliant like that lady she's so am- brilliant she is ingratiated herself to me for the rest of my life because of because of yeah. this movie and beetlejuice yeah i mean you've seen Shit's creek right oh my god she is brilliant in Shit's Creek. yeah i mean like she is a comedic genius she really she is. is and like the watching her in this movie just like how grounded and real but like the moment john candy's like 
uh, the moment John Kay is going on and on and on, she's like, how can you help me? <laughs> like, she's, like, <laughs> she's like, I'm entertaining you because you said you could help me. <laughs> like, how dare you? It's just so subtle. It's great. Somebody but, pick up. Yeah. Pick up. <laughs> <laughs> I do that to this day. <laughs> when I'm on the phone with somebody, I'm like waiting. And I'm like, pick up. <laughs> yeah. But so the very end. So uh, why, why it hit me different this time is like Kevin has made this wish with Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And as an adult, you know, Santa isn't real. Mm-hmm. <gasps> So, so like, it's very, it's fascinating when he comes down those stairs and there's no presence on Christmas morning, like Mm -hmm. it's morning. And so like, if his parents don't come home, we know that he will, that the illusion is shattered for him. Mm -hmm. Right. But because they do, it's like Santa gave him his wish. So Mm -hmm. the illusion continues. Right. And I think that's like what I'm I'm learning on this on doing this podcast is like is we always come back to this idea of balance. A little bit of both. There's no one way to be that is going to that is going to make your life easier. Like you can't just be this, you can't just be that because if you are just a, this one thing, you're excluding the the vast palette of the human experience that allows yeah. you to flow and move through the world as obstacles and and you know if you're it's if it's a river you know rocks and boulders water can flow in between and under and through tiny cracks it has to be able to flow it can't it can't be a solid thing and so you know this movie and I think a lot of the movies that we talk about is all about this idea of like yeah you need to grow up a little bit right you need to be able to be self-sufficient you need to be able to to look at things empathetically and and be able to take care of yourself but don't let your childlike wonder die because that can also save you too like it's kevin's childlike imagination and ingenuity that allows him to survive this yeah and if he didn't have that he he you know a, a more serious child might not have might not have succeeded in this yeah. movie well so so to like ground what i'm saying a little bit more and i think to expound on what you're saying like i think this movie is about believing in yourself like you are cap- way more capable mm-hmm. than you realize but that's going to look different than you expect mm-hmm but you don't want to be so self-sufficient that you're self-isolating, mm-hmm. which is what where we what we look at with Marley, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so for me, that's a good point. Uh, continue, and I, I, I'll maybe. No, I, I, I think I think we're saying the same kind of the same thing. Right. So the thing about Marley, Marley mirrors Kevin. Is you know again, it's like a a ghost of Christmas future in a way, Let's just yeah, like a Christmas like, Carol. But, I don't want anything to do with my right, family. Right. Uh, um, Marley. Uh, is the ghost that comes to Ebenezer Scrooge, who's his old boss and coworker, who's like, "Hey, this is what could happen to you if you don't change, and you're going to be visited by three ghosts that are going to help you, right?" So calling him old man Marley is like, "Hey, Kevin, if you keep pushing away your family in anger and in all this stuff and well, in, in fear, like you could potentially end up alone I, and I sad would, and isolated." 
I agree. I agree with what you're saying, but I, I, I want to change it because you can't change what of, I say. You can say your own thing. No, because it's it is. I want to. I want so. Marley is not the Ghost of Christmas Future. Okay. Because the Ghost of Christmas Future is the Ghost of Christmas Future. No, what I mean is, in it, in in a Christmas a, Carol, Marley is a, is a warning, is it a portent. Yes, yeah. he's a he's a he's a warning. So it's like, so by naming this character Marley, mm-hmm. he has the potential of dying alone and isolated. Right. So mm-hmm. it it is a it is a portent for Kevin. But we also get to see Marley get redemption. You know right. what I mean? Well, and then also, so Marley is that, like like you said, this like self-sufficient, isolated, like I can just, you know what? I don't need anybody else. I can just do it by myself. Yeah. I can I can live. But it's, a, it's that fear of the vulnerability and rejection and all yeah. that stuff. And it's the childlike innocence of Kevin of being like, you know what? Like just ask. Yeah. You know? Because like, that's what children do. Children in their heads are like, why don't I just ask? I'll ask yeah. any question yeah. because I'm not afraid of the answers. Well, Marley gets his Scrooge moment in this, right. though. You know, he does. Um, which is which, very which is like sad. Like I, I just remember. I, I don't know why it, it matters, but like growing up, I always felt really bad for Marley. Yeah, me too. Know, like in the movies, because it's like, oh, this guy's very died sad. and gone to hell. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like like so. It's like nice that Marley gets redemption. You know, mm-hmm. um, but I, for me, like personally, this is coming, this watching this movie and getting these themes from it is, uh, I think I needed it. I think mm-hmm. I needed it because I'm in this place, you know, where I have not felt very, I felt very, I felt very stagnant. Like we were talking about at the beginning of this movie, like I'm stuck in these routines where, you know. I'm safe, but I don't feel like I'm accomplishing anything. And this movie is reminding me that though, though things might get scary, I'll make it through. Mm -hmm. And there's something outside of myself that will help along the way. Mm -hmm. You know, Uh, that's, that's, I mean, I, that's like what I'm most impressed with, with Kevin is his bravery. Like, mm-hmm. like that, I think that's what's inspiring. Well, that's the, the great dichotomy of this movie. And again, it's like the look, like one thing doesn't cancel out the other. So like, right. home, again, home alone being an almost this oxymoron of a, of a title, right? Yeah. Again, home being your, your safe haven, your place of security alone, meaning isolated and vulnerable. Um, like a, a moment a moment that really struck me this time is like right before the like prank sequence, there's Kevin and he goes, all right, nine o'clock. Don't Don't get get scared scared now. Yeah. Don't get scared now. And like, it's just like this moment, like he is afraid, but he's choosing not to be. And I I find that really like cool. It's great because again, structurally this movie is really smart because throughout the movie, what did we see Kevin do when he's scared? He hides under the bed. Ah! Ah! Yeah. And just like yeah. runs away. Yeah. We've seen him yeah. run away from everything yeah. so far. He runs away from his furnace. He runs away from Marley. He runs away from the, the cops. Yeah. You know? and so he runs away really... from Harry and Marv early on. Yeah. Uh, Kevin is, is a scaredy cat. 
Yeah. And in that moment, you're right. He's like, don't get scared now. Very clearly he's scared. But he's like confident in his in his ingenuity. And it, you know, he's like, no, no, I'm smart enough to figure this out. But it, 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 and what's and then the way he oh, like the first time when he rigs up the whole party scene, like that yeah. is I couldn't do that. Yeah. yeah. That is yeah. he's a he is a genius level engineer as a child. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, amazing. But it took him time, you know? Like yeah. if you think about it, like that's that's something else that I I I'm just now thinking about is like he has this moment initially and mm-hmm. he thinks that he's ready to not be afraid. And then he's pushed up against something that he's even more afraid of, you know? So like he's he's in the house he gets scared and he's like i'm not afraid anymore and he walks outside you hear that i'm not afraid anymore i'm not afraid which is like dumb (laughs) oh really (laughs) like 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 it's dumb that he's like this is how he's facing his fear Mm -hmm. because like all like he's not prepared no he has not he's not rigged the house he's not well, I he think has not done what needs to be right. done. I think in his head, the fear is is. And I think it goes back to this idea of like magic, right? So like yeah. the furnace, the, he's afraid of the furnace because the furnace, like whenever he's down there, like comes to life and like it's like this like demon furnace thing, and like he, it's in his head, right? So at that one point, well, at that one point, aren't, some right, things aren't right, in your head, right? But I think he thinks that some of these things are in his head, like. Yeah. Because you know, shut, like, shut up! <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. like, I think him being like, "I'm not afraid anymore." Is his way of being like, "This thing that is maybe is in my head. I'm trying to to get it to go away by just saying that I'm not afraid." So, anymore. so maybe maybe we'll 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 extrapolate something else from this. Maybe maybe this movie for me. I don't know if you can. You know, I think there's all the things we've talked about, but this movie may be about how to face your fears. Mm-hmm. you know because like yes there are things that are in your head that you're afraid of and there is a there's a way to face those but there's also things in real life that you have to be afraid of mm-hmm. and there's a, a way to face those like you don't want to go into the situation with these bad guys and not and not be prepared mm-hmm. you know like, and exactly so that's the thing is like what people talk about like what what makes people confident, right? Yeah. A lot of the, the thing that makes somebody confident is preparation. Yeah. You, you know, your your belief in that 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 what you've done to, up to this point is going to support yeah. you, and that yeah. preparation is different for everybody. You know, some people need more preparation, some people need less preparation. But like, if you feel like the skills and again the thing, the work that you put into this point is sufficient, then you can be confident. But if yeah. the problem is when people don't think the work that they put in is enough. That's when the confidence falls. And yeah. and again, and something else to look at with this is like, yeah, the whole like I'm not afraid anymore. You can say that. Yeah. But, but, but do you, do you also, but do you believe it? Yeah. Like when he walks out that door, you know, he's just was hiding under the bed. Yeah. And he's like, This is ridiculous. I, I can't be a wimp. Like I need to be the man of the house. The man and he, of the house. And like he says that, but does he believe that? And no, not I at this point in his in his character arc, he does not actually believe that. Well, I, so I, I, I might disagree. Saying, I might disagree slightly. I think he thinks he believes it. That's well, that's the thing. There's a difference between right. thinking that you believe it and actually in but, your heart believing something. Well, I think he believes it, but he's not actually come up against anything that he should be afraid of. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he he goes outside and he sees a murderer, supposedly. Mm-hmm. And that's terrifying to him, you know? Mm-hmm. So like he thought he was able to overcome his fears, but then he was put up against something that was very real that he could not right. go up against. So I think he, even if you believe you're not afraid, does not properly prepare you to face your fears because right. you don't know what you're coming up against. And, and, and then, so what's great again with, I think Marley is such a great addition to the script. I think it's what we're starting to learn here is like Chris Columbus adding Marley into the story was very, very important because Marley yeah. is such a great foil for Kevin. In and, that, go ahead. and sometimes you don't have to be afraid of the things that you think you're afraid. Right. Of. And then also Marley delivered, he's almost like a mentor character to Kevin in, yeah. in a, if you're going to like look at like traditional screenwriting, like archetypes, Marley's a mentor in that Marley gives Kevin the piece of advice that he needs to, to do the, to do what he needs to do. So, and again, it goes to this like whole oxymoronic way that this movie is titled home alone, safe, but un, but vulnerable, safe, but unsafe. It's like courage isn't not having fear, right? This yeah. is the whole phrase. Courage is not not having fear. Courage is ha- being afraid, but and doing what you need to do anyway. Yeah, and I like so, this, it's, I it's the bon- it's the it's the safe and the confident and the strong and the secure, but next to the fact that you're also vulnerable. Yeah, being vulnerable, but, but pushing push through anyway. Through yeah, and uh, I-, I needed this movie right now. I think. Uh, because I, I need to like put myself out there as an artist again. And yes. it's been hard. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, this has really been my touchstone. This and when we were doing character player, were like the only real outlets I had. Um, and like, you know, it's because, I mean, the pandemic was a huge factor in that because it just like derailed me hard mm-hmm. like i'm you know apparently still recovering and i didn't even realize it but um this movie right now like being so connected to my childhood but being able to like glean these like meanings from it is just reinforcing the fact that like uh it's time to i know i have these brilliant things that i can do i'm just terrified to do them mm-hmm. and like my show, like my one, like my one hour comedy special, this is a joke. Like I got to do it. Like it's got to happen. You do. Like it's a genius. You know what? Idea. I'll do my best to come to Nashville for that. That would be cool. Yeah. I, if, honestly, if you put that show up, I will, I will try and do my best to get there. Yeah. I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to, I liked what's, what is, this is December. We're almost at Christmas. So January. I, maybe in the, next six i know i want to do it this year this coming year uh but when i don't know i'm gonna so i i before we started recording i mentioned to ricky that i've been getting involved at the third coast comedy club here which is a an improv school improv theater um and so i was i got to get up the other night and do a set an improv set which i hadn't done really Mm -hmm. in a long time uh and it felt good um and i got to talk to the teacher afterwards who you know coming in with five years of improv is very different than 
coming in as a brand mm. new student. And uh, in all honesty, I've had to do my best not to teach the class as we're in. Right. Well, you know, it's that old phrase of like, you know, uh, you can't you can't fill a cup that's already full, right? Yeah. A yeah. Cup runneth over. Yeah. Well, I mean, I but I also will say there's like different things to learn by retaking classes, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but what, but basically what's happened is getting to talk to this teacher and being seen by this teacher, like my path was meant to be my path, you know, Mm. and I can't deny that I'm thankful for the The word I'm going to use is like fermentation, mm. fermentation of my knowledge. And, uh, you know, I don't think I would be what I am if I had succeeded initially mm-hmm. in the improv world. Yeah, you're more potent. Yeah, maybe potent or just like getting past the need for attention, mm-hmm. you know, like i still love to do it but it's not about me doing it it's about right it's not about your it's less about your ego and it's just more about being able to express yourself you're matured yeah and well the other so just to quickly say what i'm saying about this show like we got so there was a game we played during the jam the other night that was um that was uh it's called objection i don't know if you've ever played this game Mm -hmm. uh basically people line up and there's a topic that's being discussed and then you're allowed to go objection tell the person how they're wrong in their explanation of the topic and then you get to take over Mm. right i misunderstood the game at first uh but as time was going like it landed on me and the com the, the topic was a joke like we want you to talk about comedy and I was like, I just stepped out and like, <laughs> I was like, this is a joke. And that's all I said. And, and I just like, let it hang there. And I'm like, I could literally go on for an hour. Just not know? say anything? Well, not well, say you anything. Can go on, you have a literally an hour about, have, about a joke. An, I have an hour. And so like, they, they immediately objected me because they didn't get, they're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. But that's that's the way my thing is structured, right? It's like give it time, mm-hmm. <laughs> like you know, you got to give it time. And so I was so moved, like in that moment, to express all of these ideas that I have going on in my head mm-hmm. about this concept. And I was like, if there's anything I can talk an hour about, it's comedy, you mm-hmm. know. And so. I don't know how I'm going to like, you know, I've been planning on this forever. The thing at this point I have to do is just do it because yeah. I have to give myself permission to fail because, and I think, I think this community might be one I can do that in because it's a uh, getting up on that stage. It felt like home, you know, like it's an improv stage. I think I could do that. Like it's a hundred seat theater. You know, it felt like the right place to at least do it the first time. Mm-hmm. And so 
And then talking to the teacher afterwards, it was like, okay, I, I am a force, you know, like, even though it took me forever to get there because of the way my brain works, Mm -hmm. I, I do know what I'm talking about. You know, Seth, I want to say, this is something I've always thought about you. Um, and I'm using, I'm going to use this word, not in the sense that maybe people think I'm using it in, but as an actual like analogy, you're kind of like, you're kind of like a star in that, in that, you know, when a star is first made, it's this big, you know, it's this huge thing, right? And it's a little bit uncontrolled and it's sending off like flares and light and energy all over the place. But as time goes on, that star starts to concentrate and condense and become this much stronger force to the point where it like completely is the most dense thing in the world, which is a black hole, right? And like it's the most power, one of the most powerful things in all of the world, right? I think you've always had this, like you said, you've always had this force and this ability, but it was so broad and unfocused and maybe sometimes just burning, burning itself off in, in wasteful ways. And now as you've gotten older and more mature and like been able to like self-reflect on a lot of things, you're starting, it's starting to be so much more burning and focused. You know what I mean? It's, it's not being kind of flung out into the I've never thought about a star as in the actual life of a star. As that's like what reflective I, of a life of a star. So that's interesting. That's very interesting. But like, and then people, I think look at black holes as like a bad thing. It was like black hole is just, is just an extremely, extremely dense and condensed star, you know, a star collapses into a black hole. Right. Well, so people think of that as a bad thing, but like, it's something very, very powerful. It could be a portal to another dimension. Right. There's lots of things. It's, it's, I think, again, I think people just use black hole as like a very overarching term for like something bad, but like, I don't know. And again, it's, it literally light can't escape a black hole, right? It's like, it's one of the most powerful things in the entire universe, a black Mm -hmm. hole. And so why is, you know, you don't have to be afraid of something powerful if that's you. (laughs) Well, for me, for me, and I've always just been afraid of myself. Mm-hmm. Like I'm afraid of everything. I'm afraid of a lot of things, but I'm very much afraid of myself. And I think mm-hmm. it's taken me this long to not to like try to get past that fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can relate to that for sure. Um, I had this, uh, the theme of my therapy this week and, uh, and I think it's definitely like, I think I like settling on this movie is about facing your fears um, because you can't, you can't do it. To- you got to be self-sufficient, but you can't do it totally by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you have to be prepared. You have to have things you can lean on. You know, like if it wasn't for Marley, Kevin would be dead, you mm-hmm. know? So multiple like, senses. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but like, the thing I'm trying to like do personally uh, is so I think it's interesting that, and I think you've seen this in me. I think it's interesting that in, with intelligence, for some reason, nihilism tends to be its bedfellow. 
I like, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh my gosh. And um, I don't know who I was talking to this about recently. Um, but when you're when yeah when you're in, what happens is when you're a really smart person, you see multiple aspects of the world. You start to recognize patterns in the world, right? The way things work. And it's not necessarily like a wisdom of things, like an under like a deep understanding of them. You're literally analytically looking at patterns, yeah, devoid of emotion and 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 logic. And yeah. so, you know, you start to see that like when I do this thing, this these things usually happen. So like for me, that's always been like a lot of people say I'm too nice. I've heard that from lots of people. You're too nice. You're too nice. You're too nice. You give too much to other people. You know, you sacrifice too much of yourself for others. And like, for me, there's, there have been several times in my life where I've given. So when I've done something nice and had a negative consequence because of that. Yeah. And like, that's where like my intelligence is like, you're, don't you see that pattern when you do, when you go out of your way to do something nice for somebody, you get punished. Yeah. You don't get rewarded. Or at least if, the, if there is a reward, the reward is way lower in value to whatever this negative consequence is. Yeah. And so it it's it can be frustrating as someone smart to like see these patterns but try but have to ignore them and keep doing nice things. Yeah. Cuz you're right. You could easily be like, "Well, fuck. Like every time I do something nice for somebody, what's the point?" Yeah, I get, I'm the one that gets they get what they needed. I'm the one that gets taken back. Yeah. And so like, yeah, like what's the point, right? It just it, it makes my well, life harder to do something nice for you to macro that out a little bit like we're all gonna die what's the point mm -hmm. you can't know there's a god there's no evidence there's no real evidence right when you look at god. things too intelligently too yeah. analytically yeah things make less and less sense yeah and uh yeah and again that's why this movie's so great is because you can see the scene i'm gonna call it the scene and it's like you're if you want to view this movie as magic you can or you can view it as coincidence and happenstance, you know, it rides that line. It does. And so it's like, it's kind of your choice as to whether or not the magic exists in this movie, which is, mm -hmm. I think, kind of how life, life works. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we've laid out a bunch of instances. I mean, even like this tarantula crawling across the, ch the, the stairs at the at exact the perfect time, time, the exact time when he's caught. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, like. I, I'm uh, so what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to get past nihilism mm -hmm. uh, as a human because it's in, like it's interesting that nihilism and intelligence go hand in hand, but actually nihilism is so dumb. It is so <laughs> stupid as a human being to be nihilistic. And I'm going to call out Mick Napier. I'm going to call out Mick Napier right now. Whoa. Hot Here's take who is a mentor of mine and he's the most nihilistic person I've ever met. And you've met Mick. You yeah. Know. And he's a nice person. Don't get us wrong. Nihilism is not, is not a something that doesn't mean not a nice person. He's very yeah. nice. person. He's a very good person. I, I he's love a good him. person. Yeah. I love him as a human being, but like fundamentally, like where we butt heads and like, like he, he so he harshly judges me because I want to believe in God, mm. and 
it, it like, I think it actually literally makes him angry that I do. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm not going to lie. Like I slip it. I, I, I mean, clearly I slip into nihilism. Like that's where a lot of my depression comes from is like, it's really hard to see purpose and meaning and all of these things or like believe in it. But like, I'm coming to the conclusion that like, it's more dumb not to. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's like, what does nihilism do for you as far it as like the human suicide. experience? It literally it, leads to suicide. It makes you, makes you, makes life. you sad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, how many nihilistic people do you, do you think are like genuinely like ha- like happy with the fact that they think nothing matters in the world? Like people are like, oh, it's freeing. It's like, is it though? It seems yeah. like it's really isolating and lonely. Again, I'm, I don't know that for sure. Maybe, um, maybe there are some really like free and, and happy nihilists in the world. I'm sure there are, you know, just by I think it's, like, probabilities and and it's odds. easier, right? It's I think it's well, easier. It makes your deci- it makes you easier yeah. for you to make decisions because it like, like it doesn't matter anyway. Yeah, it's safe. Nihilism is this like miserable safety, mm-hmm. you know, and and like I just I think that's what I'm trying to do right now. In my my life is figure out how to like get past that mm-hmm. because it's not it's not aiding me you know no. it's not like like i said it's just it's just leading to nothing yeah literally <laughs> yeah we're if i could uh, for me the the more personal thing comes up is like yeah i mean you, you kind of hit on it earlier i definitely have a a fear of rejection um like if I'm going to really like try and like reflect as, as to where that's coming from, you know, I've brought up some t- a few times on this show, like I love my family very deeply. And actually this kind of does pair into a little bit more of like why I relate to Kevin a lot. I love my family very deeply. Kevin loves his family. He does. I mean, yeah, he said, you know, he says as much, he loves them. But like when you live in a family of very strong personalities and critical and people, critical people, like, you grow up kind of even feeling rejected by your family sometimes. So I particularly, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a mixed race person. Um, yeah. I'm mostly white, but then I have, and then Latino and Asian on my dad's side. Um, so, you know, I'm, 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 I'm half and half about ethnic and, and white. Um, my siblings, you know, you've met my siblings and you've seen them. Um, have a completely different complexion than I do. I'm lighter skinned. I have freckles and green eyes. So I have like way more of my mom's Caucasian features. Like my skin tone, I would say is like, if you like, if you look at like a white person, a Caucasian person, their skin tone kind of has a redness to it. You know, like Mm -hmm. underneath it's like a little bit more pinkish and peachish undertones. My skin has a little bit more of those like tan or yellower undertones. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but very light, very light for sure. As in comparison to my siblings who have more solid colored skin, they don't have the freckles. They have dark brown eyes and dark brown uh, hair. Um, they definitely have more of the ethnic features Yeah. that I don't have. And so growing up, my family used to tease me a lot for the fact that I was lighter skinned than the rest of them. They used to call me milky. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, milkweed is the thing they used to call me when I was little, and I hated it. I hated yeah, it. That's not nice. 
It wasn't very nice. It, I is one of the things. One of my. I still get upset about it. I'm like, you guys used to make me feel like, like I wasn't part of the family sometimes because I was lighter yeah. skinned than the rest of you, and that sucked. You know, um, it was not fun. And like the, the one of the other jokes is like that was adopted because I look so much different than the rest of them. Uh, it's it's not a. And then that with like the middle child syndrome again, like you feeling like you're kind of shunted to the side in in priority to the oldest and the youngest and so like just there were a lot of compounding factors if i'm going to look at this as like a really reflective thing there were a lot of compounding factors that made me feel like i was rejected by my family so i i'm afraid of that i'm afraid of being rejected and then that goes into my social life where again i i talked about this in the goofy movie one i was in the quote-unquote popular group just for the fact that i grew up with those people you know, yeah. those were the people I went to Catholic school with. There were only eight boys in that class. So, like, those were my friends growing up. Yeah. And then when we went to the public high school, those people were the popular people, quote unquote. And so because they were just my friends growing up, I had no one else to hang out with. So those I was in the popular group just by association. But the popular group made fun of me a lot. I got teased a shit ton by people that were my friends, quote unquote. Yeah. And so again, there was this rejection of like the fact that like I'm – you used to make fun of me for this a little bit or like tease me about this. So you're like you're like you, – you're a, a not cool person that thinks they're a cool person or like that like puts on a cool a cool person persona. I'll agree that I don't think you do that as much anymore. Mm-hmm. But you definitely did that in Rough Cut. Mm-hmm. And – and I think so. Like I think those habits from high school carried over with us in Rough Cut, mm-hmm. which I don't think was good because you got made fun of. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and I I'll admit, and I'm sorry that if I ever participated in that. But like at the same time, I think we bonded more. Mm-hmm. Like I knew how they were going to treat you. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because I mean. I don't want to say you were asking for it because that's, not, <laughs> but that's like, you had not gotten past that hang up yet, which is, no. cause, which, which was causing you to go into those patterns, which I think, I think is why you still have resentment for those people. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I would argue that you need to show those people who you are now, you know, mm-hmm. um, because those people do care about you, mm-hmm. but you, I think you have other than me isolated yourself from those people. Mm hmm. You know, but at the same time, don't put yourself in a toxic situation. Like if you're going to like, if you're going to like, if, if, if that hurts you, don't do that. But well, well, I think this is one of those things where it's like, I'm still figuring stuff like this out, but like, again, that fear of, of rejection of like being the person that's like trying to be in and getting pushed out is something that I deal with on a, on a daily basis as far as like social groups as work 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 groups i think you've done a much arts. better i think you've done a much better job of surrounding yourself with people that are going to appreciate you for who you really are mm-hmm. and but, that is to no credit of my own that is a lot of luck that is a lot of other people reaching out to me and being like hey i i see you but you i would argue you'll safe i would argue that if you can get strong enough in strong enough in yourself because of those people reinforcing that the people that you want to be around mm-hmm. that you could put yourself back in a position 
to be around those people. I'm getting there. I'm getting, I'm trying to build myself up to the point where I can because, be comfortable in myself around. So, because I think that they would appreciate that person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The reason the, I think, and this is, I think the reason they didn't appreciate you or the reason they made fun of you at the time is because it was inauthentic, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you're, you're, you're faking, you're being something you're not. Mm-hmm. And so you're getting called out for it. Mm-hmm. You don't do that anymore, which I, that's the mo- how I've seen you grow the most is like you have, you have settled into who Ricky is and you've accepted that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but at the time, I think you were still in those patterns. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I've grown a lot in that way. I I have shed a lot of that stuff, but like, you know, this whole like rejection, like went through college where I like started as a theater major my junior year. So I was coming into a new group and they felt like they rejected me too. And, and, you know, didn't really get to do a whole lot of actual acting or real acting experience until I got to Chicago and then get rejected by the, so like this like constant like flow of like me again, trying to like enter a new group and then getting feel like forcibly pushed out because of the person I am it has cre- had created a, a fear of putting myself out there. But I, I do want to defend the rough cut crew a little bit. You don't have to. No, um, I, no, no, no. I, I want to say like, I think the reason we, we saw your heart and that's why you, we wanted you around, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But Yeah. I mean that. I mean that's 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 why I wanted you around because you're a really good dude. But I know you drove Harrison crazy because <laughs> he was like, "I just want this kid to learn. Like I just want him to get how it really works," you know. And and uh, and that that caused you guys to butt heads, you know. And I tried to learn. Uh, you're not you're not forced to pack your suitcase until you're forced to pack your suitcase, mm-hmm. you know, and then you did pack your suitcase. And I think you learned, mm-hmm. um, like, and Keeling, I mean, Keeling is a Chris Farley type. And just like, if a target is presented in front of him, he's going to shoot, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, I think that's, that was like, I don't think it, you're in Keeling's relationship was actually anything personal. It's just, he is so impersonal and then you are such a personal person. It made him angry that you took everything personally. And it's like, dude, you know, so, uh, I'm a sensitive boy. (laughs) I, I, all that to be said is like, though, all those people have a very special place in my heart and I wish, and I would like for all of us to be able to get together again, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, but on your show, maybe we can all go to see it together. That would be cool. That would be be really cool. But, um, yeah, so I relate to Kevin so much because of, like, yeah, this idea of, like, I've had to – this year has been a year of me – it took me nine, ten months to overcome a fear of rejection where I had this – you know, this year I really wanted to, like, push myself as a writer as far as, like, put myself out there, get, you know, get producers or get, like, writing literary managers to read my stuff. And, like, I had an in – from a connection that you know, uh, we won't put we won't say her name on this on the show, but somebody you know who I who I also know who's a casting director. Oh, I, um, I don't think you, I think you can say her name. I, I would rather not. Okay, uh, fair just, enough. Just 
to be, you know, but she, she, I know her from a different, uh, social co- setting and she, without even reading my stuff, just cause she thought it was a, a really nice, good person was like, you know what? Let me, let me give you some names, give me some names of some potential people that could help me. And it took me nine months to feel like I could put myself out there and maybe get a rejection, but I didn't. And I ended up having a meeting with this great comedy manager. She was, she gave me a lot of great advice, even though the meeting ended with, I probably wouldn't sign you, but here's a bunch of other people you can reach out to. And so like, and she's like, but, and you can also use me as like a resource. Like if you want to ask, you know, ask for advice or this or that, or, you know, we keep meeting up every so often and talk like, let's do that. Like it ended up being a very rewarding meeting in lots of different ways that I was so afraid to take a, take a stab at for nine months. Yeah. And, and the worst that could have happened was she could, she could have said, Oh no, I don't, I don't think, I, you know, we, I don't think we should meet or no, I'm not interested. Um, yeah. and it would have been fine. Um, but it took me nine months to get over that fear and it was very rewarding. And now I have these new names that I can reach out to that. I'm, now I'm going through the same process again of like, now I'm afraid to reach out. Cause like, now it's like, okay, now these people are the next, like, I don't, you know, I get one shot, right? You know? So like now it's like, you got to make sure you're, you're ready for that one shot, but like, that's scary. And so I, I'm facing it. And then, so I relate to Kevin in that way of like this fear of like, okay, you have the fear, but you have to go, you have to do the thing anyway, because you're not going to make it out. If you don't, you're not going to succeed if you don't. And, and then the other way is obviously like my relationship with my family is kind of contentious, very much like Kevin's family. Um, that even though they put you down, you know, there is still a lot of care, you know, and you see it even like in his mom, like sometimes we just get pre- too preoccupied with the rest of our lives and all the other shit going on to, to remember to like be compassionate to the people that we love. Cause you assume that sometimes that love is felt all the time. Like that person knows I love them. So I don't have to show them that I love them all the time because they know yeah. it's like, yeah. yeah, but sometimes you forget to show it at all. Yeah. Um, and that's when it become you start to resent people and you start to forget, forget, you know, like, it's like, you know what, man, you feel, you realize how much you love and care about somebody until they're not there anymore. I was talking to friend of the show, Ronnie, uh, yeah. the other night. And it's like, you, you, how do we phrase it? Um, grief, right? Sometimes grief is the way of showing that love was present. You know, yeah. it's the ultimate reminder of love that you can no longer give or receive yeah um and like so once somebody's gone you realize how much you you loved it and you wish you could share with it more and like kevin gets that kevin gets his wish to get be by himself and never see his family again and then he immediately realizes how how much of a horrible horrible thought that is and or like you know what the actual like realities of that thought are is really really tough and sad yeah um and that's not to say that like families. It, yeah. That, I think that's the, uh, you know, there's, there's a border. Cause I think I know like we talked to, to Rhea, uh, Rhea, uh, Tire about like toxic relationships and families. Yeah. And that's and, like, kind of, there is a, there is a limit. There is a limit yeah. to that for so sure. And, and that's definitely what I'm saying about like our rough cut family, mm-hmm. you know, like don't, you got to have boundaries, which mm-hmm. I I have respected your boundaries regarding Thank you. that. Um, but at the same time, 
those people did impact your life, mm-hmm. you know, I think significantly. And, and there is love there, you know? And so it's like, yes, you're, you're right. Don't put yourself in a toxic situation that you shouldn't be in, but mm-hmm. also don't isolate yourself to the point where you die alone, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, uh, I- I'm thankful that you have, you have, I'm thankful for our relationship greatly, you know, because I do think it's a very positive, a positive one, um, for me. And I think for you too. And like, it is a, a really great artistic relationship and you're my best friend, you know? So it's like it, you're my third best friend. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're definitely my best friend too, man. That that is reciprocated 100. percent Everything yeah. you just and we don't hang out. Like it sucks that you're so far away, but I'm th- mm-hmm. so thankful that like we have this time every week to talk. And it's like, mm-hmm. and even though it is it is business in the sense that we're doing a podcast, the nature of the podcast allows us to like really talk about what's going on with yeah, each other. Yeah, and like, yeah. and that that and that's very different than how we hung out before. You know, because mm-hmm. like. When you and I would hang out before this podcast, we were playing Magic, mm-hmm. which is a game that is not about. We're not friends right now. I mean, no, we're not friends. <laughs> we are, we are, we are ultimate enemies, and I will destroy you ruthlessly, ruthlessly. <laughs> and then we will get a sandwich after. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Magic, you know, I'm going to play Magic with Ronnie. So Ronnie plays a little bit of Magic. So she came over the other night and. I refreshed her how to play and we're heading over to our friend Keela's place to play commander with her husband and her tonight. Oh, cool. Commander pod going on tonight. What are you going to roll with? I'm going to bring everything and I'm just going to, I'm going to random it. You're going to roll it. Although Ronnie's going to play Goreclaw. Claw. Uh, (laughs) it's a very simple deck to play. So, um, but yeah, uh, we, I think this is yeah. I th- I, li- I really like the show because you're right. Like in talking about movies, like we inherently in talking about how movies affect us, you know, these movies get to us. Inherently, we have to bring up what's going on with us, and and not just like a oh, like this works kind of bothering me and this and that. It becomes a much deeper conversation, yeah, because it's it's getting to like what's at the base of a lot of like these feelings and this like these issues and things like that. Um, and I love you said die alone. That's that's the die hard home alone mashup. Die alone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think this movie is like just a really good epitome of like you might wish that you don't want people around because they frustrate you, they make you upset and angry. Um, but like those people give you strength. Things that you're afraid of, things that upset you, are are honestly what you need in your life in order to overcome. Because if not, you're you're right. You're never gonna pack your suitcase unless someone's like, "It's time to go on a trip." You know? Yeah, you need things from outside yourself to inspire you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're all Kevin McAllister in one way or another. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. We had we had pizza with this <laughs> or, 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 get, a, get a plate <laughs> <laughs> oh my, i just want to say this before we end this conversation you know fuck fuller 
Let's just put oh, that yeah. out there. Yeah. He's drinking that soda and smiling at him like he's yeah. like, I'm going to yeah. piss on you tonight. Yeah. <laughs> what an asshole. He's the villain of this whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> little yeah. fuller. You know, it's Kieran, Cul- it's Kieran Culkin. That's Macaulay Culkin's little brother. Oh, really? Yeah. That's funny. Uh, uh, succession, Kieran Culkin. Oh, what? I didn't realize yeah. that. That's crazy. Yeah. I told Sarah that there's something about Fuller that reminds me of her. Like <laughs> Does she pee on you? No, it's not that. It's like her, like, her, like, wryness. Like, uh-huh. Like, I know what I'm doing. Like, eh. what? Fuck that kid. <laughs> what an asshole. But anyway, I, I was like, maybe we'll talk about Fuller at one point or another. But, like, you know what? Like, Every once in a while, someone's going to come along and is going to pee on you. You got to be yeah, ready for that. Yeah, yeah. And enjoy it. <laughs> and... <laughs> okay, you know what? This conversation is over. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to our, our discussion of Home Alone. We hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, so, yes, uh, Seth kind of already let the cat out of the bag here, but not like it's a big surprise anyway. Because our Jingle Bell Watch series is over – but we still have technically one more episode that's going to go up before the end of the year, um, which will be on the 30th, I believe. So the day before uh, New Year's Eve, nice. uh, we are going to do a year in recap, a reflection. We'll talk about, you know, some of the uh, wonderful guests we've had on. We'll talk about some of the episodes that we did uh, and maybe kind of where we started this journey of this podcast for this year. And now where we're at after a whole year of doing it and seeing how it reflects in our own lives, kind of a, uh, one of yeah. those like infinite mirror situations where we're reflecting our reflections Yeah, and it's just going infinitely. We're going to need to talk about, I think, I think just a game plan for it. I, I'm definitely going to pull up all the movies we've did, we've done and like look at them and try to, I don't know extrapolate oh no well, i'm gonna don't worry we're gonna run some numbers we're gonna do some num. we're gonna do some statistics and and analyzing of like what movies we're picking and yeah and like these like through lines that were coming in cool. through them and stuff but don't worry yeah it's again it's going to be a reflection of our reflections nice <laughs> uh which is very this show yeah yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh so guys you can tune in for that for our end of the year wrap up uh, and then look forward to us uh, doing more of these in the new year. Uh, until then. Uh, Keep the we'll... change, you filthy animal. Yeah. <laughs> See you guys. Adios. Bye.